I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand. You know, throughout the course of uh, all of our episodes, we've had the pleasure of talking to people who represent both established brands and emerging brands. And what's really interesting is we really hone in on this growing desire for connection between people and the companies that they, they engage with. What I'm finding is there are a lot of common denominators, regardless of the size of the brand or how long it's been in the industry. My guest today has a really unique, interesting story, and it's one that is around a brand that's up and coming, growing very fast, and really speaks to brands that kind of cater to a dual end user or audience, and also in multiple locations. How do you keep things consistent from that brand experience? Amy LeClaire is co-founder of Sit Still Kids, and she's here today to tell us about her experience and her latest endeavor. Amy, Welcome to On Brand. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so happy to see you. So excited to have you here. We've known each other for quite some time, um, but I'd love for you to start by telling my listeners and viewers about your background. It's really impressive, very interesting. Um, so take us through that. Thank you. I was thinking about this interview and I was like, God, this is gonna make me feel old. <laughs> Um, experience make you feel experienced exactly wise wisdom all of that yeah no I've been um, I've been at it for over 20 years at it meaning um, working I started my career in New York City I moved there as a recent college graduate got my big girl job at gray advertising which is um, a huge ad conglomerate out of New York with international offices. You can kind of think Mad Men, I guess, a la 2000. Um, it was incredible, incredible experience. And um, really the only corporate job I've ever had. I think what I learned at Gray was um, very much what I didn't want in a long-term career, if that makes sense. Um, thousands of employees. I spent so much time like in the elevator, literally like schlepping work orders and coffee and all that stuff that you do when you're, when you're young and just starting out. And that led to a career in publishing. I um, ended up spending quite a bit of time at a brand called Nylon Magazine, where I sold advertising for the better part of five years left that magazine, came back. I just kind of couldn't say no. I loved um, the small culture, the cutting edge, really uh, fashion forward vibe. And that just snowballed into what was, gosh, I think I worked in publishing in totality for probably about 12 years before um, moving back to the Pacific Northwest and then having a massive career pivot from there. Um, where I found myself working alongside the founders of Bar 3, which is a boutique exercise concept. It was in, in its infancy when I connected with the founders, um, Sadie and Chris Lincoln. And I like to say I strapped myself to a rocket ship. Um, it was a really new concept when I met them. And uh, together we franchised the blueprint to over a hundred and maybe 60 locations by the time I actually left 10 years later. So a 
kind of a big career in advertising and marketing and publishing, and then eh, got myself into the franchise industry um, selling a fitness concept. And fitness has always been a really important um, aspect of my life. So it was really exciting to get into that industry. This is back 2010 boutique fitness was just starting to gain traction. It's a completely different landscape today, um, especially today. But um, really exciting ride. And yeah, I mean, I look back and it's over 20 years of combined experience, um, really working for brands, which is what I love. That is sort of the consistent, um, the consistent theme as I look at all of the places that I've worked, there's been little stints here and there, but, you know, gray, nylon, bar three, and now my own concept, um, along with my business partners, sit still kids salon. So the one thing I can sort of look back and say is that I love brands. I love uh, businesses that position themselves with a really deep story mm -hmm. and strong aesthetic that helps to differentiate in such a crowded marketplace, um, certainly in New York City and, you know, here today in the Pacific Northwest and all over the country. I love that. I mean, you know, I'm, I identify as a storyteller at heart. And I think understanding your story as a brand is critical. Mm -hmm. And part of that is should be um, enlightened by how your consumer, your customer, your client, we have lots of different words for it, how they see the brand too. I want to come back to your earlier experience, but let's talk about the newest brand that you're working with. Tell us about Sit Still Kids yeah. and what the concept is and how that all began. Sit Still Kids is a hair salon designed for children and their families. And um, the original location actually has been in existence since 2007. Um, it's a Portland-based uh, brand that was the brainchild of my now business partner, Nouveau. She had a really um, strong and very passionate career in uh, retail and marketing. And when she had her twin baby girls, who are now not baby girls, they're 14, <laughs> I think, um, she realized there was a real gap in the marketplace for a children's hair salon that really catered to a modern parent who cared about experience, who cared about brand, who was um, positioned to be surprised and delighted by all of the details. And along with her sister opened the original location um, uh, in 2007. And it's really interesting because she opened right about the exact same time that Bar 3's original location opened. So while myself and two of my other business partners were busy building Bar 3, literally five miles away, New was busy building Sit Still. And um, I had two children during my time at Bar 3 who needed to get their hair cut. So I was exposed to the magic that was Sit Still, I mean, in... 2013 when I took my son for his first haircut and it's really interesting because walking into the salon which at that point was a well oil machine and had been open for six years I had a feeling and it's a feeling that I get every so often when I engage with a brand 
in which I see huge potential. I had that feeling at Nylon Magazine. I had that feeling at Bar 3. And I had that feeling at Sit Still. And I just filed it away. Um, I was like, this, this is such a cool concept. It's got all the ingredients for a franchisable business. Um, but I was really busy building and helping to run um, Bar 3. And so, yeah, it's really interesting to sort of think how life works and opportunity and just the whole serendipity, slide, sliding doors philosophy, because I really do believe that's um, how I'm here today. Um, you know, we ultimately ended up um, meeting, we being Nouveau and myself in 2017. And she expressed to me that she wanted to franchise sit still. And um, in some ways, the rest is history. Um, but <laughs> in some ways, a lot has happened since then, too. Wow. What a what great timing. I mean, it's certainly it has been in existence for for a while now, you know, yes. in the math, 13, 14 years, um, but 14 years. And, you know, but it, now you're on this different trajectory right now. So. Okay, you're talking about loving brand and the story and experience. And when you were with Gray and also Nylon, but with Gray, you worked with a lot of different brands, right? Under yes. that umbrella. And yes. that's more advertising focus, which has always been a very traditional part of marketing. My background is really in marketing, traditional, on air, and then digital. Um, then segued into this world of customer experience, which is marketing, sales, and customer. It's the whole relationship, right? So you've got all this advertising where we used to kind of make these really great, um, you know, ads and campaigns. We're talking yeah. at consumers. Then you segue into the world of both Bar 3 and now Sit Still Kids, where it is also about a very personalized and in-person experience. What are your thoughts on that? Coming from such a, you know, kind of traditional marketing advertising background, is there something that you feel is the right mix in terms of putting together a successful campaign or program when it comes to what we consider marketing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of good points there. And you're right. I and mean, I think back to my time at, at Gray and it was like billboards mm -hmm. and magazine advertising, which I ultimately ended up selling, like all of these traditional um, tactics to uh, create awareness. And I do think what I've gravitated towards, and I know I'm not alone in this, mm -hmm. is more experiential. Um, and to your point, really loving the idea of brands that have the ability to create community and touch points that then really serve as your most powerful marketing. I mean, at Sit Still, if you were to ask me like, well, what's the marketing strategy? Well, it's moms. Like moms are our marketing. They are the most powerful factor in our entire business model. We by design don't spend a lot of money on marketing. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but really because we are living in an age, obviously social media has a huge impact on level of exposure, this idea of personal brand, following other people who you trust who, you know, aren't being paid. Um, so there's just this whole other um, reality 
that we're responding to. And it feels really good. It's quite authentic. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I mean, I guess, again, sort of looking at just the historical of what are the brand, how have brands evolved and adapted and who are the new players who have identified this way to really capture um, audiences who see themselves in a brand? And that yeah. happens through experience. I think you make such a great point too. First of all, the mom moms have always had such a powerful presence. They are huge decision makers in multiple areas. Um, I, rem- I can recall this from you know working with an agency 10, 15 years ago that was uh, really about viral marketing and really into kind of like um, community forums and boards and the mom, the mom boards, wow, (laughs) they were some of the most influential and powerful. And I think that that's really interesting too, because it's sort of the precursor to where we are today on the importance of the voice of the client, the voice of the customer that you're getting there too. Um, You know, with sit still, what I think is interesting is you, one of the many things is you are also serving this dual audience. The the parent could could be the mom, could be the dad, could be the moms and the dads um, are making the decision uh, for what they're buying from you. And, but it's the child that's having the experience. It kind of makes me think Mm -hmm. of um, like the toy industry as well. Mm -hmm. Right. There's a lot of other ones too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what are you learning from the adults um, who are are making the decision? And then what do you learn from the kids who come into the salon? Yeah, it's a really good point. And it's um, to just sort of take that a step back. It's one of the reasons that my partners and I are here today is that we saw this huge opportunity within the kids hair salon industry and it is an industry there are a handful of other brands that are concept that um, are franchising kids hair concepts and what we found was that those brands are designed and the experience is designed exclusively around the child so you can think primary colors balloons a lot of loud cartoons like it's an outdated industry and sit still from you know 2007 onward has always been really progressive in the experience in the brand. I mean, new is it's the thing she's most passionate about is how the brand is expressed to attract a parent because to your point, the parents are the ones booking the appointments, trusting their friends around, where they should go and the byproduct is an experience for a child we have as we have evolved the experience really looked at it as a dual experience what happens to mom and dad when they walk in the door and what happens to the child and create a holistic 360 experience in which everybody that walks through the door is feeling spoken to, seen, heard, and wowed. And that is really our model and it's our biggest differentiator today. So, um, you know, I think if we can make mom and dad or grandparent or nanny or aunt or uncle or whoever happens to be bringing the child into our salons feel good and seen and understood and taken care of, the rest is pretty easy. 
Stylists come to us. They've got their degrees. They know what they're doing. We coach them on the sit still experience. And from there, it's just a matter of combining those two and wowing an entire family. Um, and that is what we're, we're really committed to. So some examples of that would be pre-COVID, mm-hmm. offering cold brew and rosé. So mom and dad walk in, they're offered a beverage. Like that is unheard of. That just doesn't happen anywhere with kids. You know, later afternoon, enjoy a glass of rosé. Sit down. Your child's being taken care of. From like, the minute you walk in the door, it's all those little details. And you're right. It's sort of what's the track for the for the child and what's the track for the parent. And, you know, within that, there's a lot of variation based on the needs of the child, the age of the child, the comfort level of mom and dad. So we've studied all of that. And really built a blueprint around um, that experience. I love everything you're saying about experience, because again, this is one of the things I was talking about at the beginning of this episode is that there's so much that we can learn from both emerging and established brands or these kind of universal threads. And one of the things that, you know, I see in my industry and we saw it coming, it was happening well before the pandemic. It was, you know, approaching for 2020 was the shift towards customer experience being the differentiator above price and product. It, it mm-hmm. will pay less, you will pay more, whatever it might be. It's the experience that you're paying for. You also talked a lot. There's a lot of kind of like personalization here. You know, there's a lot of making you feel heard. You said that a lot. Again, one of those things I think other brands can really take a page from and learn from, you know, what are some of the things that you hear from both the parents and the, like, what are the things that you hear about the experiences that you've created? Um, well, you know, in the best of ways that, that parents are wowed, they come mm-hmm. in depending on how they find us sort of lukewarm expectations, like getting your kid's haircut can be seen as a huge drag. Like it's the thing that it's like, you wake up, you look at your child, you're like, oh my God, when did you get a mullet? Like, and what do I do about that? Like it's, it can be a hassle and we are really committed to making that hassle turn into something everybody can look forward to based on, again, what we're delivering within the walls of our salon. Um, But it really is, yeah, a matter of just understanding where do we meet parents where they are, everything from booking the appointment to um, intake, really understanding sort of who's walking through the door and catering the experience um, based on based on what we learn. So a lot of it back to, to what you just said is is listening. And then, um, you know, yeah, I think that parents really are appreciative of the amount of detail we put into not only the the core service, which of course the cut, it goes without saying the cut has to be great. The styling has to be great. The add-ons have to be great. And they are. And then it's everything outside of that, that just elevates the experience and transparently speaking, justifies our pricing. So we are more expensive than if you were to go to super cuts or great clips or one of the kids salon concepts. Mm -hmm. We take longer with our clients. We spend more time in the beginning asking the questions. 
Um, we're not rushing people out the door. It is a more sophisticated and personalized experience. And that's caught on. Oh, I bet too. And you know, there's something for everybody, depending on what you want. It kind of makes me think of the restaurant industry too. You know, if you want sort of a quick turn, take and go, grab and go, that exists. But a lot of us are seeking something a little bit more personalized or maybe a little bit more of a pause and more attention. Also, you know, that first haircut, look, I don't have kids, but I do have three nieces and a uh, very proud aunt. I'm the cool aunt, I say. Not that there are other aunts are cool, but I think I'm the cool aunt. Uh, but I remember like those first like haircuts for a child can be like, whoa, you know, it's like who's oh, yes. scissors, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that that's uh, it's something you don't forget. And not that everybody who comes to you is is that first time, but there will be a first time for everyone. And, yes. you know, I think that's really interesting, too. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about so you're sort of um, you were brought in to sit still because in large part, your brand expertise and your franchising expertise. Mm -hmm. Certainly, you talked about the massive growth of Bar 3. And, you know, I, I worked closely with that brand as well. It's how we know each other. And definitely, to your point, was ahead of its time in terms of that um, boutique industry, even the online aspect. You know, we were right. working on that well before mm -hmm. this last year. Talk to me about franchising. How do you keep a brand experience consistent when you are starting to grow that footprint? Yeah, it's a great question. And it it is the question of franchising. And um, yeah, absolutely. My partners and my experience at Bar 3, really watching that live out from, okay, we, we corporately own a handful of locations. We're aligned. We're we're close in proximity. We share a team. It's like very controlled, right? And then as you grow, your template starts to come to life in other markets. And, you know, it's not always the exact same. And you may not want it to always be the exact same. I think there's really something to be said about, um, brands, whether they're national brands that are corporately owned or national brands, international brands that are franchised, that there is an aspect of, of homegrown so that they um, so that they feel like they're part of the community. So it's striking that balance of brand consistency with um, allowing some of the personality of any given market to be expressed within those walls. And you learn trial by error. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, when you have at bar three, ultimately, you know, 160 uh, different owners who, you know, are all given the same playbook, but maybe interpreted slightly different, you know, it's a matter of really strong communication, being clear on where there's room to be flexible and creative and where there's not. And, I'd say, you know, for the most part, you err on, there's not, you know, you buy into a franchise because you are committing to building a business set by a um, really clear blueprint. And so I think, you know, communication up front and just being really clear, but then behind the scenes, you know, before a brand were to, to grow and we're really there right now to sit still. So we have 
two corporate locations open, one franchise location in Austin, Texas open with the most incredible owner. She's fabulous. And then 12 more territories in the works. So now is a really critical time for us to really hone in on our brand guidelines and um, on what's important to us. Like where are the areas of sit still that are just non-negotiables that we need to be aligned and how we're communicating what the expectations of our franchisees are. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that it's really, it's an exercise in understanding as a franchisor, the, the person or the group of whom the original concept is yours, where you're willing to sort of be more flexible, let go, not care as much, and what are the pillars of your brand that in order to be successful have to be firing on all cylinders in all locations? And that, you know, is unique to every brand. I can tell you it's different from bar three than it is with sit still. I mean, there's just inherent differences to our model. Um, I think I really do believe sit stills success lies in a lot of the same tenants that created bar three success, which is that we have a very strong brand and we have created a really strong experience. Those two things, the rest can kind of like maybe take a backseat, strong brand, killer experience. And that's a recipe that, um, I think is really exciting for lots of different brands to consider. So. Absolutely. I mean, again, one of those things that can be applied to a lot of areas, you know, I was thinking too, it's kind of interesting ties to my world here and, and the, and the role I sit in now, one of the places at bar three, one of the early franchise locations was over in the Philippines. So I was over in Manila for work with my wonderful team and colleagues over there and I got to go to bar three in Manila. And it was so cool because um, Manila is a very different environment than Portland. I've also gone to lots of other um, locations like Austin and yes. Austin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should have gotten stamps, you know, for sure. But you're right. Cause there was something that was like, it felt like it. And then also there were these sort of like personalized nuances that was super cool that I never thought the two would come together. And that was great. And I love seeing this trajectory for sit still. Um, now I do want to ask, what was the last year? Like, do you want to touch on that a little bit impact to 2020 with, you know, at this, yeah. at this point in the growth of the company? Yeah. So, you know, you can sort of consider sit still a proven startup. So we had that long runway. And then when my partners and I got involved 2018, just getting franchising going, I mean, it was an exciting time that kind of came to a pretty um, abrupt halt in 2020. I will say I take zero credit. My business partners really rolled up their sleeves to understand what we needed to do to stabilize during being shut down. Um, and then the reopen, which as a small business was complicated to understand grants, PPP, what do we do with our employees? I mean, it was, um, it was a daunting task to say the least. We were fortunate in that salons, at least in our market and where our franchisee in Texas is, were considered essential businesses. Um, 
And so we were able to reopen just a couple months after the shutdown. And really, you know, if I look at the business and I look at the numbers, it's actually been incredible to see our growth since reopening our doors. And I, um, I conclude that part of it is that there was just pent up demand, right? So we had months worth of clients who were desperate to get their kids haircut. It was a quiet time in the market and moms were talking. So we reopened our doors. Yes, there was sort of this pent up demand, but we have seen um, really incredible month over month growth. And now it's been over a year since we've been reopened um, with all of our, our three locations. And then on the franchise sales side of things, I mean, we've had an incredible 2021. Um, we've sold several marketplaces all over the country. And I, I think that that also um, is a result, one, of people, of course, doing the, the internal work. Where What do I want my life to look like post-pandemic? Do I want to be working the nine to five? Do I want to be working at home? Do I want to be a business owner? Is there an opportunity from a real estate perspective to open a bricks and mortar concept? I mean, I think all sorts of things have been swirling out in um, out in the world, especially with people who have an entrepreneurial um, proclivity or inclination. And the fact that we are a service business that is a need that just doesn't go away. People are... There, there are millions of kids. People continue to have children. They have hair. It grows and it needs to be cut. So I feel really fortunate. I I always knew those things about this business, this industry, but the fact that COVID really shone a light on what are the must-haves. Everything else kind of goes away, but what are the must-haves and that sit still actually weather the storm as something that was just a pillar of people's lives. They, parents might not be doing anything else, but they felt comfortable coming to our salons. Uh, again, pre-COVID, I mean, one of the things I think our people were hearing have always said is, it's so clean. It's so clean. Like a Cheerio could fall on the floor and I'd be okay with my kid eating it. Like we have always taken the um, the experience and the cleanliness really seriously post COVID invested in all the filters. We have self-cleaning door handles. I mean, you know, it, we went pretty crazy um, to ensure that our families felt really safe coming to sit still and um, they have. So, you know, the long and short is it's been an incredible learning, super stressful, um, you know, we're somewhat behind where we thought we would be in terms of um, just where we are as a company as a whole, um, in terms of opening doors, etc. But we're quickly catching up to that. And I'm hopeful that, um, you know, it, that that is this is our new cadence. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's interesting. I'm hearing this from a lot of different companies and brands, again, of all different sizes and scopes of, yes, there were struggles, there were challenges um, over the last year, but there has been so much learning and insight. And, you know, a lot of things too, I think are so interesting, like um, sort of being ahead of the game, like your, your experience in a sit still salon 
um, was always really, you know, very clean to begin with. But now that's something that's become really important. What are those essential things? Mm-hmm. And also, I love what you said too. You know, I think a lot of people are coming out of this pandemic when we're not out of it yet, but coming out of it with, hmm, what am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my life? Um, and I imagine you're going to see more and more interest on that franchise side for doing something that is essential, that has purpose, that has connection to family. I mean, it's just a really great story. It's kind of a great place to wrap things up too. You've talked a little bit about what's on the horizon and on the footprint. Anything else that you want to share about, you know, in in your vision of where you see this going in the next one to three to five years where sit still will be? Yeah. I mean, hopefully everywhere. What's really exciting about what we're doing is that we need a market with X amount of kids in it and that justifies a sit still. So we are really bullish when it comes to getting the word out, um, you know, for every haircut with a little kid who's that's not happening at sit still, you know, we consider it an opportunity lost. So, um, you know, really growing that franchise footprint with strong, proven operators. Um, you know, we're really looking for franchisees who align with our values and have demonstrated that they know how to run a business. And those people are out there. So just excited to be, you know, having more connection with people who are interested in our concept and see it viable in their own communities and opening a lot of locations over the next year. My partners are really busy right now on the on the street, finding real estate, working with our signed owners to open those doors. And I think, you know, that will be the best marketing for us is just more doors open across the country. Oh, that's great. And I just so appreciate what a great story. Um, And I love hearing kind of this connection to about really understanding what is the most critical component of brand, the importance of experience, the influence of, of moms, particularly not just with your business, but a lot of other businesses. There's a lot that I think other leaders can learn from here when we're looking at ways that we can truly and authentically and organically connect with consumers. So Amy, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to, I know everything you touch turns to gold. So I have no doubt that this will be just continue on its trajectory. This will be, this is your next rocket ship. So you're on it. So Jeff Bezos can step aside. You already are. (laughs) So thank you so much. It's been great to catch up with you. And thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, SG. 